This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Lance and David and Jen behind the glass think I'm sleeping in here. I'm texting. Relax. I'm trying to find out. No, I don't have insiders. I'm just trying to find out. I'm trying to find out who the culprit is here. I need to know. I was told that it's not somebody from Boston. Or at least we don't think it was. So, Calgary, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you, Calgary. <laughs> I can't. I still can't believe that that happened. <laughs> Connor McDavid, fifth. Um, okay, the, uh, we, the NHL Awards happened last night. It's a busy week in Nashville. The NHL draft... The home team we think is going to make a splash, and who better to talk about it than Robbie Stanley, host of Robbie and Rex Road on 102.5 The Game in Nashville. He's covered the Predators for a long time now. Uh, Robbie, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, and I can promise you I would have had Connor McDavid at least third on my ballot if I were allowed to vote. <laughs> like, before we get into the Predators thing, I, I, you voted on awards before, I'm sure. Um, oh, yeah. And, like... It's one, if you want to say, okay, you know what? I thought Connor McDavid was great, but, you know, I, I really like David Pasternak's season, or I really like Matthew Kachuk's season. Fine. But Connor McDavid can't go any lower than second. Like, we're talking about now one of six players in NHL history, I think it's six, that have reached 150 points in a season in an era where not everybody gets 100 points. Like, it's not like the 80s. It's not, you know, like there, there's a standard that he set here. I was just totally flabbergasted by it. That's why I said to put him fifth, that has to be a troll job from somebody. Oh, I totally agree. Like, I think you can make an argument, and I, I don't know that I totally buy this, but I think you can make an argument that Connor McDavid had the greatest offensive season in the history of the league, just based on the way the game is now. So for him to be fifth, I think is an absolute joke. So I'm with you. I can't wait to find out who did this. It's going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be pile on city on Twitter. Uh, that person is going to have a lot of mentions and probably not a lot of good ones. Um, but good ones, it looks like Nashville is having a good one this week. Uh, the awards last night, and we can we can make what we want of the awards. Like, I, there's not very many uh, award ceremonies that are you know not super cringeworthy, and and they all have their moments, but. Um, what has the vibe been like in Nashville? I mean, you know, I feel like, and, and you can speak to this more than I can, but I feel like Nashville's kind of taken a little bit of a backseat in terms of, you know, it's now Vegas that's the, you know, the hotbed for traveling fans and all that. But I feel like Nashville's doing a really good job of reminding people like, hey, we still exist over here and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really exciting week here. I mean, Nashville, one thing that we're really good at is putting on events, and whether it's the NFL draft or the NHL draft that's going to take place tomorrow or, you know, music festivals, whatever it is, Nashville does a really good job of throwing a party and putting on, putting on events. And I think you're going to see that tomorrow uh, with the draft. I'm with you on the awards. Like, I thought the, the Predators and the NHL and, and the city of Nashville did as good of a job as they can do. There's only so much you can do with an award show. And like you said, there's a lot of cringe that goes along with it, but I think you're going to see lots of cool things with the draft. And there's a lot of excitement here too, with the predators, just because they're in a much different position than they normally are in. And Barry Trotz is coming in as the second general manager in team history. And he's making some moves already and, and clearing up some contracts. And this is kind of a new era of Preds hockey that, that Barry Trotz is getting ready to usher in. So some exciting times down here in music city. Before we get to Barry Trotz, I did want to talk about David Poyle, and he was honored last night before he handed out the the Bill Masterton Trophy. Um, and you know, 
There, there's one thing about David Poyle is that he has he had staying power. He's been in the league a long time, and there there could have been times where Predators ownership said, you know what, you know he's done his time, and and you know it's time to move on. But he goes out on his own. He has a a guy who you know was the first coach in franchise history who he hired, and then brings him back. Um, when you look at at David Poyle's legacy in Nashville. What is it that stands out to you the most? Because I've heard people talk about the growth of minor hockey in the area and just hockey in general. Um, what will be the lasting memory for you of David Poyle in Nashville? Well, I, I think it's really his commitment because, I, you know, I was here in the early stages of the franchise too where the expansion rules were much different than they are today. And, you know, back in the summer of 2007, the Predators had had their two best regular seasons in history in 06 and in 07 with Paul Correa and they acquired Peter Forsberg and all these different guys. And they got put out in the first round both times and ownership basically had a fire sale after that. And there was real speculation that the predators, it might not work in Nashville. Hamilton, Ontario was a spot that a lot of people circled and, you know, Jim ball silly. And they had basically the Hamilton predators ready to go. And the city stepped up, and the fan base stepped up, and David Poyle stepped up, and a new ownership group came in around 2010 and really kind of allowed David Poyle for the first time in the history of the franchise to have freedom and to operate like a, like an NHL team and to have a full cap available to him. And not long after that, the Predators from basically 2015 until 2019-2020 were a Stanley Cup contender. They made the Cup Final in 2017 won the president's trophy in 2018 and they were never able to break down the door and we talk about that here a lot in nashville in terms of david poyle is the winningest general manager in the history of the league he's been around for a long time he's never broken through and won a stanley cup and that's the knock on his resume but i, I think that summer of 2017 when they were making a run to the cup final and Broadway was packed with fans left and right. There were thousands upon thousands of people outside of the arena who couldn't get in but wanted to watch it anyway. That was when you kind of knew that this team had made it for good, it wasn't going anywhere, and that this was going to be a success story. And I think they haven't looked back since then. Yeah, they really haven't. Uh, Robbie Stanley from uh, Robbie and Rex Road on 102.5, the game in Nashville. Okay, so now we get to Barry Trotz. And he comes in as a first-time GM. There, there's there's two things go, where why I think this is going to be a very fun draft for the Nashville Predators. One, they've got some picks to play with. Two, they've got the GM that comes in that maybe wants to make a splash. And as the host city, we know that a lot of times that happens. Do you think that Barry Trotz is coming in here and he is going to try and make the big splash, the big trade to really kind of put his stamp on this team? I do, and I, I think Barry Trotz, is trying right now and is going to continue to try all the way up to the draft to move into the top five. And he, he's really made no secret about that. He wants to do that. He's obviously not had success with it yet to this point. And, you know, understandably so when you're picking in the top five, it's going to take a whole lot to move out of there if you're one of those teams. So whether or not that specifically happens, I'm not sure, but the Predators have about $19.5 million in projected cap space for next year. And they've got, uh, you know, they've got a restricted free agent in Cody Glass and a restricted free agent in Alex Carrier that they have to re-sign. Neither one of those guys is going to cost that much money. So they've got a ton of cap space available to them in a time where it's really hard 
in today's NHL to come across cap space just because the salary cap has been flat. So I think the Predators are going to be very aggressive in what they do this week. I would not be surprised if they moved up from either 15 overall and 24, which they have two first-round picks at 15 and 24. If they moved up and packaged some picks, they got 13 picks in this year's draft, which is more than anywhere else. They picked seven times in the top 83. They already have uh, three second rounders for 2024. So they got a ton of draft ammunition. I think Barry Trotz is going to try to make a splash in his first week. So with all those picks and, and the cap space, do you think that it is more likely that Barry Trotz goes out and does the majority of his work via trade? Or do you think that this is going to be a team that's going to be active in free agency? Because we've, you know, we've talked about it. It's not, it's not a great free agent class. It's certainly not one of the better ones that we've seen in a while, but um, when you have cap space, sometimes you can bring guys in because you can use them as assets to trade later. Uh, Do you think it's the trade Avenue or free agency that he's going to make his biggest moves? I think trade will be the more likely route. And the reason I say that is number one, I agree with you. I I don't think it's a great free agent class. And and specifically, I, I don't think it's a great free agent class based on the Predators' needs and where they are right now with their roster. And what I mean by that is like when you start to look at the top free agents, specifically the top free agent forwards that are available, they're all 31, 32, 33, somewhere in that neighborhood. And right now the Predators are trying to get younger. They're going to have a really young team next year. They've got a lot of young prospects that are going to come up and play and play meaningful minutes. And I just don't think the Predators are going to involve themselves too heavily in unrestricted free agency. You know, they've got obviously, you know, a lot of draft picks that they can use to their disposal in terms of trades. They also, at some point in the not too distant future, are going to have to make a decision in goal with UC Soros. He's got two years left on his contract at $5 million per year. They drafted Yaroslav Askarov in 2020 in the first round, who's a, one of the top goaltending prospects in the league right now. And he's not ready to play yet at the NHL level, probably one more year uh, in, the, in the American League, and then he'll be ready to play after that. But at some point, are you going to trade UC Saros and go with Askarov? Are you going to trade Askarov and give UC Saros a new deal? Like I said, he's got two years left on his contract, but that's the next big, big move that, that Barry Trotz is going to have to figure out in goal. Okay, so here's here's kind of an off-the-ball question. When you look at Barry Trotz, he's not part of the the old guard of general managers, the ones that believe that there's an unwritten rule that you do not, and I repeat, you do not offer sheet players. Do you think Barry Trotz has it in him to do that? You talked about the draft picks and the draft capital. I mean, they, they, are, they have some going into next year. Do you think that that could be a move that Barry Trotz pulls off as like a, hey, guys, I've arrived and, uh, and I'm going to change the game a little bit here? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I asked Barry Trotz point blank about that yesterday, and he kind of referred to David Poyle for the answer. And Poyle's answer was essentially, you can try it. It's hard to pull off with an offer sheet, and more times than not, the other team will match it anyway. But I do wonder, with with the Predators where they are, look, they're in a search for a top centerman. They've been around 25 years. Next year's their 25th anniversary. And they've never really had a guy that comes close to being defined as a true number one centerman. Ryan Johansson was a good player. You know, Matt Duchesne began his career here in Nashville as a center. They've had some good centermen over the years. They've never had a number one guy. So that's going to be the priority for, for Barry Trotz, he's got to be able to find one of those guys. And maybe it comes via draft, but maybe it does come via an RFA. And maybe you get into the offer sheet 
speculation. And I mentioned the draft capital. Like, if you're willing to pay the contract that it would take to offer sheet somebody, a lot of times teams get scared off because of the draft capital that you have to go up that goes with it. Well, the Preds have a ton of draft capital. So uh, you would think that that would be something that doesn't necessarily scare them off if they believe in a player. A lot of a conversation around here is for a guy like Trevor Zegras. Could the Predators get in there and try to offer sheet Trevor Zegras? I don't know specifically who it would be, but I would not be surprised if that's a route that Barry Trotz explored. And and God knows we want chaos. Like we want offer sheets. We want all like bring on we the do. madness. We we want all of the smoke. Um, let's just. I mean, I'm not holding my breath, but I, I I'm hoping that it happens. Um, one guy that really stood out to me late last year is a, is a guy who is eligible for an extension on July 1st, and that's Tommy Novak. And you know he's got a great deal right now at eight hundred thousand, um, with only one year left. He finished the season red hot. He was really really good for the Preds down the stretch, I think kind of out of nowhere because yes, he was good in the AHL, but I don't think we all thought that there was going to be a carryover to the extent that there was with Novak. Do you think he's a prime extension candidate in that, you know, you could get him maybe on a, a two or three year deal and kind of pay him a little bit less than maybe his market would, would bear. I do. And I think that's going to be the predators plan. I mean, he, he's a guy that came up and, was, like you said, out of nowhere, but it ended up in their top six last year as a, a middle six centerman there. And he played really well. I mean, he was close to a point-per-game guy down the stretch of, of the regular season there. So, you know, I, I don't know that that's going to be exactly what he is as a full-time 82-game NHL player, but I also don't think he needs to be that for this team. I think he's really solid. He had a, he showed a kind of a gift of, of soft hands and playmaking ability in tight around the net last year, which this Predators team has been missing for a while. So, you know, the, the Predators and Barry Trotz have a job in front of them of trying to identify kind of that next wave and that next core. And, you know, they've got guys like Luke Evangelista who are in their early 20s and Philip Tomasino. And you know, I mentioned Yaroslav Askarov in goal as well. Novak's a little bit different. He's 26 years old, so he's not necessarily a young guy. But I do think he could be a prime candidate for an extension and I can tell you this. I know Barry Trotz loves the way that he played down the stretch for this team last year, and he's definitely going to be on this team next year, and we'll see whether or not they, they decide to extend him. Uh, one more before we let you go here. Uh, so they retained salary on Ryan Johansson. They've retained salary on Matias Ekholm as well, and you have three slots to do so. Um, do you think that there is an appetite to try and move Matt Duchesne's deal and eat some of that contract, or do you think that they're saddled with it? There's still three more years left at $8 million. It wasn't a great year for Matt last year. Um, he was banged up and, and certainly a far cry from the previous season. Uh, what do you think the future holds for Matt Duchesne in Nashville? My guess would be that he's back next season and he's going to play on the wing on the top line alongside Philip Forsberg and probably Cody Glass. But like you mentioned, the Predators up until the Matias Ekholm trade had never retained salary on a trade before in their history. Never before had they done it. And now they've done it twice uh, with a couple of last, uh, the last two trades that they've made. So it's kind of a changing in the guard and the way of thinking from the ownership group and from Barry Trotz. You know, I, I don't think that, that they view Matt Duchesne as one of those core pieces anymore. And Barry Trotz has talked about that this week. That's UC Soros, Philip Forsberg, and Roman Yossi is kind of what he's building around. So I do think that they would explore the option of moving Matt Duchesne and if that meant retaining more salary, which is what I think they'd have to do in order to make that happen, I do think they would consider it. But 
They already have done that twice with their, a couple of their last two deals. And I think for now, Duchesne is probably safe and he's back in Nashville next season. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Uh, listen, Robbie, thank you so much for, for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. And enjoy the rest of the week. Like draft night should be fun tomorrow. And the rest of the week, I mean, to, today and tomorrow, uh, that should be very good uh, along the strip in Nashville. Cause it sounds like it's super busy. So uh, enjoy it. And, uh, and we'll chat soon. Yep. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. There he goes. Robbie Stanley host of Robbie and Rex road on 102.5, the game in Nashville. And listen, the home team historically, like we saw what Montreal did last year. They moved, they moved out some picks. They ended up trading for um, Kirby doc. They traded, they, they, they made the splash with Uri Slavkovsky. They traded uh, Romanov like, Montreal kind of did it right last year because every time it felt like Gary Bettman stepped up to the podium, we were waiting for Montreal to do something. I wonder if we're going to get that with Nashville here. They have some cap space to deal with. They don't have a ton in the way of restricted free agents to that they have to lock up. You know, we talked about Cody Glass in there. Maybe Tommy Novak gets an extension, but he's still got one year de- one year left on his deal at a very, very team-friendly number of 800000 Nashville's super interesting. And 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 Barry Trotz being a first-time GM, you can just imagine that he's got an itchy trigger finger here and he wants to make a move that's going to put him on the map as a brand-new NHL GM taking over from David Poyle, who is certainly not afraid to make a splash himself. That's it for Hour 1. When we come back in Hour 2, Gord Stelic, Leafs Nation pre- and post-game host and co-host of the Morning Skate on the NHL Network Radio. We've got lots to talk about with Gord. That's all coming up on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff for the week. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in with you for the rest of the week. I brought the rain apparently in this city. Lance is shaking his head. He's not He's not thrilled. Yeah, you're, you're, you like to be outdoors and stuff. Lance is a runner. Lance is a biker. No, not one of those bikers. He doesn't have his, he doesn't have his, his jacket. Yeah, it's. It's gloomy. But you know what brightens our day is when trades happen. And it looks like we might be getting one between the St. Louis Blues and the Philadelphia Flyers. Maybe not as big as the one that we thought was going to happen, but it does look like Kevin Hayes is on his way to St. Louis. So once we get more info on that, we will pass it along. Uh, Gord Stelic, Leafs Nation pre and post host, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio, joins me now. Gordy, how are you today? Well, yeah, I'm disappointed. Three o'clock tennis game I've got booked, and um, that could be in peril. But uh, I'm great. I'm great. And do you think do Kevin Hayes, could he get any more of the unwanted feeling? The guys at the All-Star game were chatting with him in Florida, you know, during, and then all of a sudden, even back then. So anyway, that'd be nice if it gets things going. Well, you just I, – I get it. Like, I understand – why the the Flyers feel the need to move Kevin Hayes. Like, I understand it. And I've always been of the impression, like, 
if somebody offers me $6 million to do a job, I'm not going to go, hey, pay me four because I'm not worth six. Like, that's not happening. So I understand the reason to move him. But this is, I said, this trade has gone on longer than a cricket match. Like, this is taking forever. I never thought that it would be that way, but here we are. And and the St. Louis Blues, if this does end up coming to fruition finally, they're going to end up getting a good player in all of this. Um, the only thing is, is that they're going to be taking on some salary going back. So I, I do wonder about the fit with Kevin Hayes in St. Louis, but I think the more interesting thing in all of this is that the Philadelphia Flyers are really, really cleaning house here. Well, and it also shows that people always talk about what's the, and I was funny, I was chatting about this this morning, like how does it work with president, general manager, coach? And there's 32 different scenarios. And right now, John Tortorella is um, in big. Like he holds Trump there uh, as a coach in making personnel moves, which in a lot of other places, the last person you listen to is your coach because it can be emotional. They can take things personally, and it's not always healthy in looking at the big picture. Obviously, in Philadelphia, you know, John Tortorella is a guy that before these other changes were made that checked all the boxes, and he's the guy. And by virtue of whatever guys he doesn't like on the team, they're not going to be there. Yeah, it's so true. And and it's it's funny that you mentioned there's 32 different dynamics in the NHL. The Flyers one is interesting in that, you know, like Keith Jones is the, is the president of Hockey Ops, doesn't have front office experience. Uh, Daniel Briere is the general manager and he has a, he has less, you know, tenure as a GM than a lot of guys around the league. Then they brought in, you know, Patrick Sharp and they brought in John LeClaire. Like it's a totally different dynamic. And when you look at it, John Tortorella, the head coach is the guy that has the most experience in and around an NHL team in terms of, you know, coach or GM, which is which is why he ha- probably has a lot of say. And let's face it, uh, we don't think John Tortorella was the biggest fan of Kevin Hayes this year either. No, no. And that's why, you know, in a different way, Kyle Dubas' situation, you know, it seems he's the guy in Pittsburgh, but it was understood that Mike Sullivan was going to be the guy he inherited as the coach. And I'm sure he had no problem with that. I mean, Mike, but just, yeah, they're, they're all just different. Other places you go and, okay, the, the general manager is going to make a decision. But in a, cert- in a few cases, you know that decision's already in place, but uh, yeah, Kevin Hayes. So you move on, and you know, and good and good on Philadelphia. Like you, you move on with who you want, who you don't want. I mean, Barry Trotz did the same with Ryan Johansson going to Colorado, and you know, these are part of what we expect to see over the next twelve, twenty-four, seventy-two hours. Uh, so it looks like Kevin Hayes to the uh, Blues for a sixth-round pick. So it's and I don't know if there's going to be salary retention, but that's what we're seeing right now. Um, okay, on to last night. Now, Gord, I know you were watching the NHL awards with with you know you had you were just on the edge of your seat. Bated Wait. breath. <laughs> um, how shocked were you? I mean, you shouldn't be shocked at anything that happens in today's world, but when you saw that Connor McDavid had the 195 first place votes and then one fifth place vote, what was the first thing that crossed your mind? And did you think you knew who did it? Uh, Jack Edwards. <laughs> Apparently, it's not anybody from Boston. That's what we're being so, told. But and, and, I, and I'm I'm saying that I'm saying that you know with a smile. Okay? Yeah, of just course, kind of, of saying course. That's who because uh, he's a he's a great guest. I'm sure you get him on the show, and he's always a great guest when we get him. But that's the first that type of thing crossed my mind. I know they're going to announce the names um, if they haven't already. I think this afternoon the Professional Hockey Writers Association, which should be the case. I mean, you should be accountable for whatever the and, and part of why you thought. 
uh, someone out of Boston because they gave David Pasternak the first place vote, which probably he's as deserving as anyone outside of Connor McDavid. So again, though, Matt, you're getting, you know, Matthew Kachuk, some vote right wing, some vote left wing. You know, remember a few years ago, Alexander Ovechkin, I think, made the all-star team on both wings. Yeah. So, you know, so there should be should be some kind of minimum criteria in that regard, of, you know, especially compared to others that really research it well and, and have well thought out vote process. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I said it to Elliot today and Elliot's like, I, I don't want to be the guy that piles on because I don't agree with that and, and whatever. He has an idea. He thinks he might know who did it. But I said Somebody who puts Connor McDavid fifth is looking for attention, in my opinion, because if you want to say, okay, David Pasternak had a great year and I, I want to give him a first place vote or Matthew Kachuk or whoever it is, you can't put Connor McDavid fifth. You just can't like, you know, he had one of the best seasons that we've ever seen, especially, you know, when you look at era adjusted numbers, I mean, that, that to me is just a, it's a, hey, look at me type thing. And I could be wrong, but that's what it feels like. Well, well, they're, they're going to be successful in if it's a, hey, look at me kind of thing, because if that's what they wanted, uh, they're going to be successful in getting that attention. Anyway, we'll see what they have to say. I mean, he wins the Hart Trophy, so he's one short of unanimity, so be it. Uh, again, you know, Steven Stamkos is out there last night, and you're kind of winning the Mark Messi Award, and you're kind of saying, Okay, Connor McDavid wants to get there. Austin Matthews wants to get there. Uh, Connor Bedard wants to get there. They want to be a number one overall pick, like like Stamkos was, and someday come back and talking about uh, with a reference point, a context of being a multiple Stanley Cup winner. That's the big one for these guys, obviously. Yeah, it really is. And uh, and McDavid, you know, uh, Stamkos, Stamkos said it like he's going to win a cup eventually. It's ju- it's just going to happen. So I, I'm kind of on board with you there. Okay. Um, the other, the other one from yesterday, and it's something that we've kind of mentioned on this show, but I wanted to get your take on it, the Norris Trophy. And you listen, Eric Carlson had a season for the ages. It's one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a defenseman and on a not very good San Jose team. There were nights where I looked at Eric Carlson and said, mm, don't like that defensive play. Is it time that we really have a look at adding an award for the highest scoring defenseman, call it the Bobby Orr trophy. And then, you know, give kudos to the guys who we can vote for the Norris trophy that are actually really good defensive defensemen. Are we there yet? Well, again, it goes back to the voters and you're making assumptions or voting the way it is right now for two way defensemen. You know, the best one, I, I don't mind the idea. I know it's been floated before. I, I didn't, I don't have a vote. I love Eric Carlson. I know 20 of his goals were even strength, but I can't vote for a defenseman on a team that bad. That's all. I mean, that's just, you know, so, uh, I mean, I can't give a first place ballot vote to someone on that. I mean, to me, it's almost a minimum about a team making the playoffs by and large. So uh, that may be unfair. That may be wrong. That's just the way I think. But he certainly is a, a guy got his career back going again, got his health going, and we'll find out. I mean, it's now or never as far as if a trade can be made or not and figuring out how to divvy up that cash. But if you answer the question, he wouldn't have been my number one vote. And if you want to split it into two trophies, I'm fine with it. And uh, and Eric Carlson, he, you have you have to be a fan of the kind of player he is, and you have to be a real fan of the kind of person he's always, he's always been very consistent. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Gord Stalick from Lease Nation pre and post and NHL Network Radio. Okay, so just to wrap up this loose end here, uh, looks like 50% salary retention by the Philadelphia Flyers. So it's like just over $3 million for Kevin Hayes. So St. Louis gets a center and Philadelphia gets some cap relief for the price of a sixth round pick. 
Okay. Now I wanted to ask you about um I wanted to ask you about the uh the Taylor Hall deal. So he gets he gets dealt to Chicago. Uh Nick Felino as well. Nick Felino signs a, a one year extension. I know this was probably not the guy that Chicago was necessarily targeting because I don't know, we we really didn't know who was going to be available from the Boston Bruins. We had an idea, but you know, Taylor Hall's name was kind of floated out there. But when you look at this from a from a pure mentoring perspective, it really feels like Chicago probably couldn't have found a better guy, a former first overall pick himself, uh, uh, still a, a very good player in his own right, had a really good playoff, and he kind of fits in that, you know, you still need to get decent players to play with Connor Bedard because you can't just throw him into the fire and say, here, let's see if you let's see how well you do fighting this fire because you have nobody else to play with you. What was your first uh, impression of the deal? Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. You know, it's interesting. So Taylor Hall will be the only Hart Trophy winner to play on six teams, right? This is a sixth NHL team. I don't think Connor McDavid will play on six teams. But um, you're, you're right about being a first overall pick and understanding all that. It's just Chicago, all of a sudden, it's like we're planning towards retirement, and all of a sudden you win Powerball, okay? And then your retirement plans change. And that's what's happened in, in Chicago with the number one overall pick winning the draft lottery. So, okay, your, re- your, re- your rebuild got accelerated. So you can make moves like that. You also want to give Connor Bedard good players to play with, put him in an environment that, you know, gives him a better chance to succeed. And right now, all these deals, we just talked about Kevin Hayes. That's a salary dump. Basically, Ryan Johansson was a salary dump, half the salary. This is a salary dump by the Boston Bruins, you know, whether they go after Tyler Bertuzzi or whatever it may be. So that frees up some money for them. And um, it's uh, it's it's interesting adding the, the Felino piece. And he was going to be an unrestricted free agent anyway, but it gave Chicago a few days to get ahead of it. I mean, that's a good kind of serviceable player you can sign. But, yeah, Chicago's thinking ever since lottery night, Chicago's thinking differently about how long the five-year plan or whatever plan they, they they said was going to be in place. Although I think the Vegas Golden Knights have shown you you don't need like long t- long-term plans. But to answer your question, I, I liked it from the word go. I thought it was a great move for both teams. Yeah, Boston really like when I when I looked at Boston's salary cap number and they were like five million under the cap and they had to sign like it felt like twenty guys. Um, there was going to have to be somebody that moved out. I mean, Taylor Hall makes sense. But I can't believe that Boston is anywhere near done here. Like, there's still got to be moves to be made. I don't think that the more I think about it, the more I don't think they're moving Linus Allmark. Matt Grizzlick's name has come up. I, I do wonder about them buying out Mike Riley. But are you like me in that you think that we're going to hear a lot from Boston over the next few days? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, they're also getting tagged a certain amounts. You know, when you sign those veteran players, whatever bonus they they make gets tagged to your next year's salary cap. So that adds to a complication as far as the salary situation goes as well. But uh, uh, they, I mean, what I mean, what an except for the playoffs, what what a phenomenal regular season they had. So I mean, they don't, you know, they they really want to, and they made trades during the season. I mean, they really want to retain. As much as they can. I thought one of the quieter things was seeing Hampus Lindholm be. I mean, this is the official All Star teams last night. This is not players playing in the All Star game. It's six on the first, six on the second. And you go back to that trade they made, you know, to get Hampus Lindholm and then put him on D. And he's on the official second second team All Star night now. So it's a lot of good stuff that they've done. You know, right now, I mean, they're looking basically retention, see how many how many they can keep and keep in the cap. I don't I don't know if they have you know, wiggle room to make to make big big deals. 
No, and and just on just on that uh, Hampus Lindholm thing, he finished fourth in Norris voting as well. Um, and that's pretty formidable when you can throw Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy for basically, you know, almost half of the game out on the ice. Like, yeah, you could do a lot worse um, than than those two guys. Um, speaking of uh, the Bruins, what, the other thing that's floating around here is we don't know what's happening with Patrice Bergeron because I, Jimmy Murphy was on the show last week and, and he doesn't, he doesn't think that David Krejci is coming back. He put it at 50, 50, that Bergeron was going to come back. If he doesn't, they have two holes that they have to fill that I'm not so certain that they have that internally. And they're going to have to go out and figure out what they're going to do at center. If not, the Boston Bruins are going to be very hard pressed to make the playoffs. Oh, really? Uh, I mean, Boy, I, I also hard- said that last year, and look what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, well, the I, Atlantic, I could be very wrong. <laughs> well, the Atlantic division is interesting that the perception is Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit all seem to be on the right path as far as, uh, you know, vying for a playoff spot um, next year. So, I mean, that, that would mean one team would be the odd team out. I, I mean, Patrice Bergeron brings intangibles nobody else can bring. You know, but like with every team and organization, whether it's Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves running their course in Chicago, I mean, it's just... It's just what happens. They've had an ability, Matt, you know, just to uh, – they've always had an ability to find whatever would be. I mean, they've really had that kind of – I mean, Taylor Hall on their third line, you know, just like all of a sudden there he is and fit the former former Hart Trophy winner is playing on their third line, so it gives them, you know, three incredibly balanced lines, and they've been able to pull that off. So I, 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 I definitely think the Boston Bruins will be one of the 16 teams in the playoffs next year regardless of what happens. Uh we do. It does feel like we have some clarity on the Connor McDavid situation, and it looks like Seth Rorabaugh is the guy who had Connor McDavid fifth. So where where's Seth out of again? He's uh, uh, Tribune Sports in Pittsburgh. So there you go. It was a Pittsburgh writer. So it wasn't Calgary. My theory was wrong. I thought maybe somebody got a little bit sour that McDavid and Matthew Kachuk were in. Uh, the final three for the Hart Trophy ballot, so, but there so we go. So is he trying to make it like he's not Sidney Crosby or so? I mean, anyway. I, I don't know. I have no idea, but I'm sure. I'm sure his Twitter mentions are going to just light up today. Um, that is going to. I mean, I, I don't even know what else to say. Uh, okay, on the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So you and I talked the day after Brad Treliving was introduced to the media, and we talked about the big splash. And and I don't think that Brad Treliving necessarily came into this job thinking, okay, I'm going to come in and really put my stamp on the team by making a big splash. But what we're hearing about the William Nylander negotiations kind of feels like he may be pushed into that without actually wanting to have done that when he came in initially. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously you're looking at getting, you know, figuring out the big picture. I don't know how he looks at it and figures out the big picture. And I, I just find, you know, we, because of the playoff, um, uh, because of the lack of playoff success, William Nylander, who just has the most agreeable personality, seems to be the constant whipping guy about you know what's wrong with the Big Four and putting all this money on the Big Four, and yet he's probably had the most consistent playoffs. Granted, playoffs haven't been very good in the recent era, and he's just had a couple of great seasons. So, you know, I, 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 I mean, Brad Treliving made a big splash last year in Calgary because he had to be reactive to the Jonathan Goodrow, Johnny Goodrow situation, and then you know, kind of step up about Matthew Kachuk. It's not. It's not. 
it's not that urgent here right now. And, and you know, I, I know people, hey, you, they want their David Clarkson. They want their John Tavares. They want their Patrick Marlowe. They want their Joe Thornton. They, these, are, these are great, great, sexy names to come. But they, they didn't ma- amount to a hill of beans, by and large, in getting to the, in getting to the next level. So it's, it's a team that's been an excellent, excellent regular season team last year. And, you, you, you know, you, so you've got you to build from that foundation. And you're, everyone's, everyone's strapped cap-wise to make the kind of, you know, there's no, there's no it's funny, with, uh, with Ryan Johansson getting traded, you think of Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. I mean, those kind of trades, they just don't really happen. I, I, I think Treliving's a guy that did a really good job filling out the D on Calgary, and that's always been the weakness here. I mean, it's easy to be the weakness when your your top four players are, are, are forwards that you put money at. So I, I'm interested in his, in his molding in that regard, but I, I never really expected the big splash. The other the other thing that comes up often, and I've brought it up on this show, I've brought it up on, on any show that I've hosted, you always wonder about the connection to the previous team. And Listen, we know that it feels like there's a fire sale coming in in Calgary. We await word on on what Elias Lindholm's plans are, but we don't think Michael Backlund's back. We don't think Tyler Toffoli's back. We don't think Noah Hannafin's back. And then that, you know, that leads to questions about what do you do with guys like Chris Tanev and Nikita Zadorov. But the guy I keep circling back to is Tyler Toffoli. And Brad Living brought him in from Montreal, paid a pretty good price for him, but he would come in at a, a good cap number. Yes, there's one year left on the deal, but in terms of the fit with the Toronto Maple Leafs, I, I think that it's a really good fit and at a number that is palatable to put him up front and in your top six and maybe even on your top line with Austin Matthews because, I mean, Tyler Toffoli is not the fleetest of foot either, but it does really feel like a good fit if they can make it work in terms of the package going back. Is that a guy that you think that they might have their, their eyes set on? Sure. I think every team would. That's it's a good number. He's performed well where he's been. He had a solid season last year. Uh, again, it's what you give up. Part of the thing. I, I mean, Brad, your living scouting staff has three draft picks. I mean, that's, that's a team that should have been in the Stanley cup final to only have three draft picks. So you don't, you don't have a lot of futures, to give up for whatever it would be. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if he can make it work, but uh, I see, I, I look where I was talking about it this morning as well, that I think Calgary and Winnipeg, you know, cause they got multiple things to do, Matt. And I, it's kind of like when you're doing a reno or something that when you got a lot of things, get one thing done, right. Okay. Get one thing done, right. Because then, you know, who knows, maybe you can be a little bit more, you know, hang on to some of those other players and, you know, not have to make a knee jerk trade. You don't want to, uh, maybe you, um, it varies what you're looking for compared to when you made the first deal. And I just think, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, that's the one Winnipeg's got to do. And Tyler Toffoli, I just see that being the one Calgary's going to do, but, um, um, that very like I, I just think he's a I just think he's a nice pickup and Calgary doesn't seem to want future so again I don't know where the fit could come from the May Police but who knows who knows how the Flames evaluate players from other teams well and they're also and here's the here's the the thing with Calgary is they're kind of put in a position where they're not the ones holding the keys here like they are not driving the bus because teams know these guys have one year left on their deals. And Calgary can't go through the same thing that they did. And it's to a lesser extent than than what they had to do with Johnny Gaudreau. But it, it's they can't go through that again. You need to get assets. You need to get something back for these guys. And that really does kind of put Craig Conroy in a bit of a pickle here. 
Well, well, you know, you don't need to get something back. If it's just something, then you're better hanging on and take like like Calgary and Winnipeg both think they have chances. Both expect to be in the playoffs, and both and, and as Florida showed, if you get in the playoffs, who knows, right? So, yeah, no, I mean, what, you know, what the hell, go for it. And if he goes as an unrestricted free agent, so be it. I mean, you you got to make good business decisions, and a good business decision could be we're just flat out not getting enough in return, so we'll risk losing him as a UFA because what he brings to the team. Um, could be a whole difference maker. So I, you know, I, I think right now there's a perception that oh boy, anybody with a year left that won't that won't re up right now. We've 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 you know, and 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 you made the point. Matthew Kachuk was an exceptional situation because he was going to be a player somebody was going to build their team around. So you know, um, he went for a living and got two great assets that both had off seasons, and you got to expect better things moving forward. But same with Winnipeg. You know, if, hey, they got to go out and play. And if they're going to be a UFA, I'm not that you say they try any harder, but it's on them more, behooves them more to have a blockbuster season because, you know, uh, that's the best thing you can do as a UFA. Do, you know, be the Aiden Hill that all of a sudden the recency is that you want a Stanley Cup. All of a sudden that's the best way to get some money. So I, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, it's going to be uh, the, that Calgary situation, man. I, I said it yesterday to Jonathan Davis, like what a whirlwind of, you know, like 390 days for that fan base. You know, you lose to the Oilers, then, you know, the two guys leave, then you're like, oh, okay, well, we brought in Uyghur and Huberdo and Kadri, so we're going to be okay. And then they couldn't score to save their lives in the points in the season where they needed to, and then they don't make the playoffs, and now this. Like, it's just been, I mean, like I said yesterday, it could be worse. You could be a Leaf fan. Um, speaking of well, which, <laughs> but, okay. Hey, but just quick one. Let's give, let's give a shout out to our call, our ex colleague, Savvy, Mark Savard. Like, yeah. Really brought, brought a lot of positivity. They understand that in the organization because Craig Conroy and Ryan Huska, they were there and that was missing. And they've, you know, they, they've made moves predicated on making a more positive working environment and don't discount that. Yeah. I, I like Savvy a lot, especially because he agreed with my, theory on uh, taping sticks that only certain guys can have only a little bit of tape on their stick because it's really hard to handle the puck that way. So I love savvy for that. Um, okay. Just a, another, another quick one on the Leafs here. So, you know, the, the, the impending UFAs, they've got O'Reilly and Shen and Achari and, and David camp and Alex Kerfoot among others. They've, it sounds like the Leafs are trying to get something done with Shen. They're trying, they're having conversations with O'Reilly and Achari's camp as well as camp and, and um, and and Kerfoot of those, if you could only bring one back, who's the biggest priority for you? Okay, so uh, I mean, some of them I was already so okay. If you can only bring one back, um, well, okay. Well, to me, I, I Luke Shen. I I just I'm surprised I'm saying that. But I, I love the leadership, the intangibles he brought, and Morgan Riley played his best hockey with Luke Shen. Yeah. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly, obviously, obviously at an appropriate number, which I'm assuming, I, I don't know what the number is. So, again, I did answer your question, uh, and I like a cherry as well. Kerfoot's time is gone. Other ones don't worry about, but it just one is, uh, again, the intangibles Luke Shen brings, and the others, of course, price point will matter with everybody. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, like, the O'Reilly thing is fine, but I, I feel like that deal may not age very well, and you've already got – and he, and he showed – listen, I like Ryan O'Reilly, the player, but he showed that speed is a bit of an issue still for him. And you, you yeah, can't and play who, him yeah, with John Tavares, the- and it's really hard. It's really difficult to pay your 3C, you know, $5.5 million. 
Well, who knows what the number is? Like, I well, mean, that's I, Jordan Stahl he signs for two point nine, right? When he's making six, I don't, I don't know what the O'Reilly number is. It only takes one team to 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 pay whatever it is. But you know, the understanding is, yeah, it would have to be at a cap friendly number. Okay, so uh, looking ahead to the NHL draft, and not on specifics about the draft, but just your your history in it. Um, is there a favorite draft memory for you from your time in the league? Well, it, you know, it, it was uh, it was it was a lot of fun being on the draft floor. Uh, I like that general managers used to announce the trades. You never knew. So Ronnie Caron would go from St. Louis. Once again, the St. Louis Blues have made a trade with the Calgary <laughs> Flames or the Montreal Canadiens. You know, so that part was always uh, always exciting. I always really enjoyed being there to welcome the person and their parents to the organization. And, you know, that, that can encompass a lot of anyone who was a first-round pick. I mean, Wendell Clark's a great example. Les and Elma, it was just, uh, it just was, uh, it was wonderful. It was really, really neat. I, but I always bring up the negative, and I, I, give, it a, um, I give it as a, um, some props to uh, Floyd Smith, who was our head scout then. And I want you, so back when we took Luke Richardson sixth overall, uh, in the draft in Detroit, when am I getting my years mixed up? I think 87, 86 or 87, 87. And John Brophy was, we were just talking earlier. So John Brophy at that time was a head coach who had the kind of power John Tortorella has right now. Like the owner loved Brof. He was sick of small centermen and all that. He liked the physical style. So we were going to get a, a big, we thought we were going to get a big defenseman. Luke Richardson is a guy at the end of it we targeted. And then just at the draft, Floyd Smith just said, the best player in this draft is Joe Sackick. And all of a sudden, everything went. It was, it was the best draft table argument I was ever a party of. And I, I wasn't doing the arguing because I wasn't out scouting then. And um, I, people said, well, why do you think you waited till then? I think I said, well, they probably had the meetings. Be- I know they had the meetings before, and Floyd understood we had to get a defenseman, that the coach had that kind of power and whatever. But when it came to it, Floyd just had to say, Joe Sackick's going to be this good. And that would have been a ballsy pick. And Quebec took him, I think, 15th. And Quebec had two first-round picks. And they took Brian Fogarty with their first and Joe Sackick with their second. And, uh, and the rest is history. And I think Joe Sackick's probably happy the way things worked out, whatever I had that fr- chat with him, Hockey Hall of Fame weekend when he was getting inducted. But that's, you know, one that, you know, just I remember. And uh, unfortunately for the wrong reasons, but uh, that's one that always jumps out at me. Yeah, and you look at that draft, uh, Pierre Turgeon, Brendan Shanahan, Glenn Wesley, like that was the top three. Brian Fogarty goes nine, and then like you mentioned, uh, Joe Sackett goes 15th. Uh, pretty pretty good uh, pretty good career for that Sackett guy. Uh, highest scorer from that draft, no question. Um, th- the one thing that I love is when we get to see GMs talking to each other on the draft floor. Now, it was a, when you were GM, it was a different, there was no cell phones. There was no, no, like, so you must have gotten to see a lot of interesting conversations, a lot of interesting pairs on the draft floor, or was it as busy in terms of trades on the draft floor? Like we see now. Oh no, absolutely. Like when we took Wendell first overall in 1985, just about 15 minutes before Bill Torrey came over and um, they had two first round picks. I, I can't remember the numbers. So they were offering that. And so, like, Jerry McNamara was at the convention center in Toronto, like, had to go find somewhere to hide behind some drapes or, so, like, a backstage to, you know, convene everyone because the TV, it was the first year it was being televised, so it was just a hub of activity there. You could hardly hear. So, yeah, there and and things get things get thrown. And then a lot of times more, things would get thrown at you, you know, all of a sudden. Uh, we thought we had Eddie Olchuk in 19, let me get my, my years right, 80, 83, 
at, at third over at uh, or, or no with uh, in '84 with uh, Ally Afraidy. We got fourth overall, which we're happy about. But we're pick, picking third overall, and the LA Kings are picking third. And we knew they were looking for a defenseman. So we thought we're getting Eddie Olchuk fourth. Even Eddie thought he's coming to Toronto. And then all of a sudden there's a trade, and, L- and Chicago flipped with L.A. So Chicago moved up two spots, and they just gave up a backup goaltender, and they got Eddie Olchuk, and then they got um, their defenseman who never, uh, Keith, what was his name, Keith Redman, who never panned out, uh, Craig Redman, who never panned out on D. And we, and we were very happy with Ally Afraidy, don't get me wrong. But, you know, a lot of that just stuff just seemed, there, there weren't cap implications, and I mean, you know, and all those th- kinds of things. So, yeah, there's, there seemed to be, there seemed to be more GMs that were gunslingers back then. So the Wendell Clark year, you're saying that the Islanders offered their two first round picks that year for number one? Yeah, and they, they took um, um, Duncanson they, and... Um, they, and No, they took Derek King and Brad Delgarno. Oh, Brad Delgarno six, and Derek six King. Six and, yeah. and 13. Yeah. Uh, so, I, it's funny because we did that the other day. I was having a, uh, Yesterday, I was having a conversation with Elliot, and he talked about the year that the Avs drafted uh, Nathan McKinnon. And Calgary offered all three of their first-round picks. Sean Monaghan ended up being one, Morgan Klimchuk another, and Emile Poirier was another. And I think Poirier played like eight NHL games or something like that, and Klimchuk played, played one. So there are stories like that, but it is interesting to look back and say like, oh, if we had done this, we would have got player X. Now, not necessarily that you're going to draft those same players, but it is an interesting exercise to say, you know, usually you're in pretty good standing if you keep the first overall pick. Well, and 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 by the way, uh, so 1989, the infamous three Belleville Bulls in the first round. Now, first of all, I was ecstatic to have three first-round picks. Now, uh, traded Ken Reggett to Philadelphia and got their two first-round picks. They had Calgary's as well. And um, so... You know, we had three, which was great. And uh, it turns out it's it's a pretty weak draft. So it, I, I, know, I know Philadelphia factored that in giving up the picks, and we understood that in taking them. But it was third. So third overall, we were debating between Scott Thornton and Stu Barnes. And we liked Scott Thornton, so we took him third overall. Rob Pearson was a great pick, I think at 11 or 12, whatever. He was a great pick. I mean, he really was. And unfortunately, yeah, he was part of that 93 team. Unfortunately, he got hurt later on. But he was a, a scorer, and he was tough. We were really hoping Stephen Rice with the 21st pick, a winger from Kitchener. And it's just like your hockey pool you're in, Matt, and everyone's in, right? And he gets taken the pick before us. Yep. So we got to kind of scamper a bit. And we had uh, Kent Manderville as our top forward, Dan, Redut- Dan Ratushny as our top defenseman. They were both played in Cornell. And then one of the scouts really liked Steve Bancroft. And it's the first time we said, geez, we'll be taking three bull, you know, three bulls in one round. We never had even really thought about that, you know, in that respect. So we thought it was kind of neat. As it played out, it became the standard joke that our, our scouting budget, the gap only was gas mileage to go to Belleville. <laughs> and the next guy was Adam Foote, top pick in the second yeah. round. But we didn't, I mean, there was, he wasn't even the best Adam. Adam Bennett was a high defenseman picked earlier. So he wasn't even the best defenseman named Adam as far as drafted. But Foote was a great, great pick at at 22nd overall. So they had Matt Sundin and Adam Foote. So, you know, a lot of teams screwed up not picking Adam Foote. But Scott Thornton had a solid NHL career. Robbie Pearson would have had a really good one. He was, and, you know, Bancroft's just a a nice guy. He had a serviceable, uh, pretty well exclusive minor league career. Yeah. And those happen. I mean, it's it's a, it's become I don't want to say it's become a perfect science now but it's become a little bit more predictable with with all the tools that all these scouts and everybody has uh, at their disposal today so we'll see what happens tomorrow night it's going to be certainly interesting and uh, it sounds like there's a lot going on so uh, pray for as I say to every guest Gord pray for chaos so we have a lot to talk about the rest of the week thanks for jumping on buddy
Okay, Matt. Thank you, pal. There he goes. Gord Stelic, co-host of Leafs Nation pre and post and co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. Okay, so we've got some things to take care of here. So uh, officially, the Kevin Hayes deal is done. It's a sixth-round pick that heads to Philadelphia from St. Louis. 50% retention for um, for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, it also sounds like we might be getting closer and closer to a Pierre-Luc Dubois deal to L.A. Um, not confirmed yet, but we are awaiting that. And uh, it sounds like there's a lot of discussions surrounding Eric Carlson and some teams that maybe, maybe, maybe we weren't expecting to be in there. I've always said, and I said it yesterday, I'm very curious to see what Seattle does. I'm just throwing it out there. Seattle's a super interesting team. They need a star. They've got some cap space. Keep an eye on the Seattle Kraken. We're going to get to all those and more when we come back on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff on Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Final segment of the Jeff Merrick Show for Tuesday, June the 27th. We talked about it being super busy this week. Thank God Jeff took this week off and not last week. Because this just became more fun for me. But we've got a lot going on. So to recap, the St. Louis Blues have acquired Kevin Hayes, from the Philadelphia Flyers in exchange for a 2024 sixth round pick. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers will also eat half of that contract. So 50% retention. Um, we are hearing reports that, and nothing is confirmed yet, um, that maybe we are closing in on a Pierre-Luc Dubois deal. Elliot Freeman on this show did say that he was expecting that to get done today. So we are inching closer and closer to that. Uh, also, um, some off-the-ice news. Anaheim Ducks have named Ryan Getzlaff a player development coordinator. Now, Ryan Getzlaff is one of those guys that you, you just want in the game, and what better place for him? I mean, he's an, he's an, he's an Anaheim guy now. Um, he's, he's never played anywhere else. He made roots there. Uh, apparently, he's got a lot of chickens. So there's a lot going on with, with Ryan Getzlaff in Anaheim. So um, off-ice news there. There's... There's a lot going on here. There are a lot of people talking. There are a lot of, as Friedman said, there's a lot of balls in the air here. And, you know, as it pertains to the Pierre-Luc Dubois conversation, I think once we kind of felt like it was between two teams, LA never, or sorry, Montreal never really made sense to me because Sorry, as I cough my brains out here. Ellie, <clears throat> Ellie never really, or Montreal, <clears throat> one sec. I think we're back. I think we're good. Water, maybe? Who wants to come in and do the show? Lance, is that you? David, anyone? Okay, we're good now. Holy smokes. That's the last thing that you want 
when you're on the radio and especially on TV is to have a coughing fit. <clears throat> and yet here we are. Montreal, now I can finally get this out. Montreal never really felt like it was a good fit. Because when you look at it, <clears throat> do you really want to pay Pierre-Luc Dubois more than you're paying your captain, Nick Suzuki? Do you want him to get paid more than Cole Caulfield? They set the bar with the Nick Suzuki deal. Now, that can change over time. And maybe you get to a point where as the salary cap rises, that there is a deal to be made where someone gets paid more than Nick Suzuki. But it's funny because the narrative from a lot of Habs fans was, wow, Nick Suzuki, 66 points. What a great year. He's the future. And then it's like Pierre-Luc Dubois, 63 points. He's a bum. He's washed. We can't have Pierre-Luc Dubois. You can't pay Pierre-Luc Dubois more than Nick Suzuki. How dare you? They're very comfortable with Kirby Doc up front. And I would anticipate that if there was a deal to be made, that Kirby Doc would have to be included in that deal. So it never really felt like a fit. LA, on the other hand, feels like a fit. They add some size up front. It, what the package is going to be going back will be interesting. I'm assuming Gabe Velarde is going to be in that deal. I'm assuming that Ajax Alafalo is going to be in that deal as well. But that's the type of deal that really kind of makes or breaks you. That's the type of deal that you could end up looking like a genius or it could just be one of those deals that really doesn't pan out for you. We've seen stretches from Pierre-Luc Dubois where he has been absolutely fantastic. We saw it as, as early as last year. We saw what he did against the Toronto Maple Leafs in, you know, the play-in series. Not the playoffs, the play-in. Doesn't count. But we saw how well Pierre-Luc Dubois played. We've seen the top end of Pierre-Luc Dubois. The problem is, is we haven't seen it on a consistent enough basis. We're at a point now where, it, it, I don't want to say it's make or break for Pierre-Luc Dubois, because it's not, because he's only 24 years old. But he's going to have to live up to what I think is going to be a pretty significant contract. Assuming that there is, I mean, with what the, the reported names are going back to Winnipeg in a deal, it's going to have to be a pretty significant extension. The other guy um, that was spoken about earlier on the show today, and, and Elliot dropped the name before, um, before he went off the air with us, was Max Comtois. So it doesn't look like he's going to end up being tendered by the Anaheim Ducks. And Max Comtois is a, a really interesting guy because there was a time where we were expecting Max Comtois to be a legit top six forward in the NHL. 33 points in 55 games in the shortened 2020 season. He was the leading scorer on the Ducks. And he's just 24 years old. He'll be, he, he just turned 24 in January. It is not often that you get a guy who had the kind of pedigree that he had coming in that then becomes a, a, available as an unrestricted free agent at 24 years old. I think that there's going to be a lineup for Max Comtois services because 
He's got to prove it. The team can pay him, you know, if it's a couple million bucks on a short-term deal, maybe it's a one- or two-year deal to try and figure it out. I think there's a lot of upside in that kind of a deal. I look at a team like the Calgary Flames. I look at the Winnipeg Jets. The Toronto Maple Leafs are trying to figure out their top six and their top nine. You know, teams like that that can have some space. I wonder about a team like the Nashville Predators. Obviously, it was not a fit in Anaheim for Comtois, but there's there's ability there. There is talent there. There's a reason why he's a second-round second pick. So Max Comtois is somebody that I think is very, very interesting if the report, if Elliot's reporting is true, which I have no reason to believe it's not going to be, that he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. The other guy that is one of the names that we look at that we expect to be moved this week, although it is a little bit more of a, it's a difficult deal to make. The reason why I have this gut feeling it's going to be done before free agency opens is that teams want to know what they can and can't spend. So the teams that are heavy in on Eric Carlson, or at least have had conversations need to know how much San Jose is willing to eat what the package is that has to go in return. I do wonder about trying to get it done before the first round of the draft because then, you know, the San Jose Sharks can use those assets if they so choose in this draft. I would assume that that there is a first-round pick going the other way in some way, shape, or form. Who are those teams that are interested? Well, you have to ask yourself about the Ottawa Senators, although I don't think that one's happening. You have to ask yourself about maybe the Seattle Kraken. Are the Buffalo Sabres interested in Eric Carlson? They certainly have the pieces to make the move. Is that a guy that fit? Like Eric Carlson walks into your top four, no question. He walks into your top two, top one. But is that much of the same that the Buffalo Sabres already have. They have Rasmus Dahlin. Obviously, they like Owen Power. Matias Samuelson is there. It's a really good fit. Veteran guy on a younger team who has playoff aspirations. And that is the type of splash that I would... I think Buffalo is going to go superstar hunting here. Again, they have the assets to make that kind of a move. It may be a long shot with... Eric Carlson and the Buffalo Sabres. But I would not be stunned if he ended up on a team like that. Then the team that was thrown around was the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm trying to wrap my head around that one for Eric Carlson. I just don't see how that works. Unless you're, unless you're moving William Nylander in some sort of a deal. And by the way, William Nylander does not fit the timeline for the San Jose Sharks. So that has to be part of a much bigger conversation. So I don't think that the Toronto Maple Leafs are, I mean, they've probably inquired. I think a bunch of teams have probably inquired. So that's also going to be another thing that I think happens this week. The Edmonton Oilers have qualified Ryan McLeod, according to GM Ken Holland. Uh, As he said, they're still trying to figure out 
what to do with Clem Costin, who has some KHL offers. That one to me, like I, we saw Clem Costin perform with the Oilers in stretches, but I think that Clem Costin is a is a really good fit on a team that can use help in their bottom six. I think he's the perfect fit. He's a big guy. He's certainly not afraid. He's got a hell of a shot. Really does fit. There's another team that we, you know, we've talked about with Eric Carlson. Can they make that work? Because let's not forget, Evan Bouchard is a restricted free agent. And Evan Bouchard's number probably starts with an eight. And they're going to lock him up for a long time. The Oilers are, I mean, they don't have a unanimous MVP this year. How dare they? But they're a team that people will say that they failed this year because they didn't get to the same point as last year. But last time I checked, they lost to a pretty good Vegas team. Like they've lost to the cup champions the last two years. Does that count for something? I'm not so sure. But it doesn't mean nothing. It doesn't mean that they've taken a step back. All it means is that, hey, you ran into a good team and you need to improve the one that you have. That's what it means. So where does Eric Carlson fit into that conversation? We know that they had conversations with San Jose last year about bringing Eric Carlson in. The problem is, is that there's a concern out there. I'm not even concerned, but there is a thought out there that maybe San Jose is not going to get quite what they want. Maybe they're going to have to eat a little bit more money on this deal than they would want to. And in that case, the return that you get, you would think would, would, you know, be more, but it doesn't, it sounds like teams are trying to get Eric Carlson on the real cheap here. And I get it. But if you're San Jose, if you're Mike Greer, is that the route that you want to take? Or do you just let this thing ride out a little bit more? And Eric Carlson stays there maybe until the trade deadline. Somebody gets some LTIR space and then they can make it work for this year. The cap opens up next year and it becomes a lot more palatable. I don't think that that's going to happen, but it's certainly within the realm of possibility of things that could happen. We talked about the deal yesterday, Chicago Blackhawks acquiring Taylor Hall and Nick Felino. Nick Felino signs a, a one-year deal worth $4 million. I mean, Nick Felino's he did really well on this deal. $4 million to, I don't want to say play babysitter, but part-time babysitter, part-time player, and good for Nick Felino. Helps him extend his career. If he has a decent year, he could get traded to a contender again. He could be a fit somewhere. But I'm really happy that Nick Felino gets to continue his career here. It doesn't seem like there was much hesitation about signing a one-year $4 million deal, as there shouldn't be. But that's a really good bit of business for Nick Felino. It's a really good bit of business for the Chicago Blackhawks. They caught, they caught a lot of strays for what went on, and as they should. But they are really, truly trying to make a difference, it seems. And bringing in Connor Bedard is going to do wonders for that organization. We know, we already know what it's done off the ice for them in terms of ticket sales. But bringing in guys like Nick Foligno, bringing in guys like Taylor Hall, that's going to help them because they can't just be so horrible again. 
They need some veteran leadership. They need some guys to surround Connor Bedard with. You can't expect Connor Bedard to come in and just, you know, be able to play with no one. This isn't junior hockey. Not a one-man show anymore. Although Connor McDavid does a pretty good job of it sometimes. It's starting to get a little crazy out there, people. Garner yourself, govern yourselves accordingly the rest of today and into tomorrow as we get set. Tomorrow's draft day. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of movement. And we're going to have you covered here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Thanks to everyone that joined me on the show today. Elliot Friedman, as he kicks off each and every show. Robbie Stanley, talking about the Nashville Predators. And Gord Stellick, Leafs Nation pre- and post-host, co-host of the Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. For all of those behind the glass, Lance, David, and Jen, thank you very much. And thank you to you for listening and watching. Matt Marchese here with you for the rest of the week on the Jeff Merrick Show, listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360.